You're listening to the Pursue God Truth Podcast, the official channel for faith and life topics at PursueGod.org. Join us every week as we explore new topics from a biblical perspective. Okay, Ross, today we're starting a five-week series. I'm really excited about this. We've had this series in the Pursue God Library for a long time, but it's finally time for us to create some podcast content around it. Um, Because, man, there's so much to talk about when we're talking about Bible basics. That's the name of the series. Uh, For our listeners out there, you can find the series if you want to talk about it with your family, with your small group, uh, one-on-one with a mentor. You can find it online at PursueGod.org. But, Ross, maybe the first question is, what, like, what's the target audience? Who's the target audience for a series entitled Bible Basics? It sounds pretty basic. Yeah, it's fairly basic, although I think our listeners will discover that we're going to talk about some things that are that are pretty intriguing and have some depth to them. But we are going to cover some basics, some simple stuff. It's for basically, it's for any Christian who wants to learn how to read the Bible. We know that if you're a new Christian, you may not have had exposure to the Bible. You may not know, understand what this what this book is all about and how to go about reading it. And so we want to create a foundation for, for that person to be able to say, oh, it's not so intimidating to open the Bible and read it. Actually, it can make sense out of it. But for any, any Christian, really, it, we want to encourage them to be reading their Bible on a regular basis. And so this is going to also fill in some gaps and connect some dots for people maybe who are reading their Bibles, but never thought about some things. There's some things they may have questions about, maybe, about how to go about it or what am I reading and why. And so we're really going to cover the whole spectrum about really how a person gets the most out of their Bible. It'll be practical. It'll also have some intriguing concepts that we're going to present. Okay, so yeah, here's what, let me just talk through where we're going in this five-week series. Today, we're going to talk about where did we get the Bible? We're going to answer the question of inspiration. We're going to throw some fancy words out there. And we're also going to talk a little bit about Bible translations, the original language, that kind of stuff. It's going to be super interesting, today's topic. Next week, week number two, we're going to answer the question, what is the structure of the Bible? So we're going to talk about the Old Testament, the New Testament. We're going to talk about all the different uh, different genres in the Bible. So important to, for people to understand. Ross, I, next week's lesson, I talk about with people all the time, who, especially who are new to Christianity, because they have no idea how the Bible is structured. But really, I find that a lot of Christians don't even fully know how the Bible is structured. So we're going to cover that in week two. And then in week three, we're going to answer the question, how should I read the Bible? So week three is going to be super practical for people who want to maybe learn some techniques and some methods for getting the most out of your Bible study. We're going to do that right smack dab in the middle of the series, probably the most practical lesson in the whole series. And then in lesson four, we're going to answer the question, what is the story of the Old Testament? So we're going to spend some, that's going to be a fun one. We're going to give people like a 45 minute overview of the entire Old Testament. It's going to be great. It's going to be like a seminary class on steroids. And then in week number five, we're going to answer the question, what is the story of the New Testament? And you know how does this whole thing tie together? So again, the series is called Bible Basics. This is week number one, and you can find it all online at PursueGod.org. So Ross, here's the first thing we need to talk about in today's lesson. Okay, so where did we get the Bible? I remember as a, I don't know, maybe I was in junior high or maybe even in grade school, I remember thinking like, man, my, the pastor talks a lot about this Bible. It seems pretty important to our church. Where did it come from? How do we answer that question? Yeah, that's a great question. It's an obvious question, but we don't always give an answer to it. 
the Bible, we're going to start with the ideas the Bible comes from God, ultimately. What, did that, what does it mean for it to come from God? How does it come from God? Um, what's the role of human writers, all the rest? So we start with the understanding, and this is attested in the scripture itself. This is attested by Jesus. And so it's not just a circular argument. Oh, the Bible says it's authoritative. And so, you know, that that's kind of like, oh, it's t- talking about itself. It's attested by Jesus that the Bible is actually inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's not just a book with some kind of religious type or philo- philosophical human beings like the great sages of the of history put it together. Now it did come through human beings, but it ultimately comes from God himself. Okay, so let's let's hit our first scripture verse. This is a big one, and I think it's important for people to understand this. 2 Timothy 3 verse 16. This is the Apostle Paul in the New Testament writing to Timothy, kind of one of his understudies. And he says this, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. So that verse teaches us that scripture is inspired by God. What does that mean when we read the words that scripture or the Bible is inspired by God? Right. The word means, literally in the Greek language, it means breathed out by God. So God breathed that in a sense that the the metaphor is talking about how God created it out of his own soul, kind of out of his own own inner being, that he breathed out or inspired these words to be written. And so um, some ways that that it speaks to us in, in that verse, it talks about some different ways that that um God actually has spoken to us through the Bible. He teaches us what's true. He opened it opens our eyes to what's wrong in our lives. We call that conviction. He correct it corrects us when we're wrong. This is God speaking in his word. So God is actually correcting us when we're wrong and teaching us to do what's right. Um, not just knowing what's right and true, but also how to live in light of what's right and true. And so this is this is what God has done for us. He's given us this kind of input, not just information. But, but this kind of understanding of reality uh, by creating this written word that human beings can all um, have access to and all understand. All right, we'll talk more about inspiration in a second, because I got some more questions for you, Ross, and I'm sure our listeners will want to hear the answer to the question. But before we get to that, just you mentioned this already, that it's not just First Timothy, you know, Paul writing this, to, or Second Timothy, I guess. It's not just Paul writing this and saying this. It's it's actually Jesus himself. Here here's some more uh, evidence in the Bible that the Bible is trustworthy. Mark twelve verse thirty six. That's in the New Testament. Jesus said, "For David himself, talking about an Old Testament author of the Bible, for David himself, speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said such and such." So what's interesting about this, Ross, is is this is Jesus himself attesting to the inspiration of a guy like David. So unpack that a little bit. Why is it important that Jesus would even say that? Yeah, I think this is, again, I mentioned a minute ago the idea of this circular argument. If, if If the Bible says, I'm telling you the truth, then you go, well, of course, that's a little self serving, maybe. Maybe the Bible's not telling me the truth where it says that. But we can know from Jesus, we have historical records um, by eyewitnesses that give us a pretty accurate picture of things that Jesus himself said. And so 
we can move the the attestation from the for the authority of the Bible from the Bible itself to the historical person of Jesus. Jesus said, "Oh, look, David when he wrote the Psalm, he wrote talking about Psalm one ten. When he wrote the Psalm, he was inspired by the Holy Spirit. So Jesus, we have Jesus has this certain authority. Most people accept that authority from him." That Jesus' understanding of Scripture was that it was it, that it came from God, that its origin was from God, and so this is this was his operational view and his use of the Bible that he had. He didn't have the whole Bible; he didn't have the New Testament, but the Bible that he had, he understood that its origin was from was from the inspiration of God. Yeah, and let's not forget that Jesus is God. That's why it's that's why we're spending time on what Jesus thought about it. Not that Paul's words aren't inspired. I mean, we we get enough from just what we read from Paul's words, but Jesus is God. And so this does carry a ton of weight when we think about the fact that he's quoting Psalm 110 and and saying David was inspired, that basically it was the Holy Spirit that wrote that, not just David who wrote that. We'll get get into what that means more in in a minute here. But then later in Luke 27 or Luke 24, verse 27, Jesus said this also, again, this is super interesting when you really think about this. I'm sure many people have read this before, but they've never thought about it in terms of what it's saying about the Bible and its reliability and its inspiration. Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, it says he's meeting with his disciples and it says that he took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets. So that's Old Testament. Right. So Moses and the prophets, what we're talking about, the first five books of the Bible, those were the law that was those were the books of Moses. So Genesis, Exodus. We'll talk more about this later on in the series. But then also the prophets. So that's like Jeremiah, Isaiah. And so this is the scripture that the disciples would have understood as scripture. They didn't have the New Testament yet. Obviously, it wasn't it wasn't available them to them yet. It wasn't written. Most of it wasn't even written yet. But but Jesus is bringing the resurrected Jesus is bringing his disciples through the Old Testament, and it says in Luke twenty four that he explained from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Ross, this is like fascinating to me to think about Jesus doing this with his disciples. What does this tell us about his view of scripture? Right. It it shows us that Jesus believed that the prophecies of the Old Testament were for real and that they were fulfilled. He were they weren't just made up, but the idea of a prophecy that is fulfilled suggests there's some kind of divine authority or spiritual authority behind that that drives that information. Where would that information come from? And so Jesus, his use of the Bible, the Old Testament in that sense, his use of it demonstrated that you know he really believed it, that he really uh, saw that it, the reality of it, and he connected the dots for his followers. Um, actually treating the Bible as it was the authoritative uh, script, uh, Word of God. Okay, one more. This, again, Life of Jesus. This is earlier now in his ministry, Matthew 4.4. 4. He's getting ready for his public ministry. He's in the wilderness. He's being tempted, tested by Satan. And Satan is throwing all these lies and half-truths at Jesus. And uh, Jesus keeps coming back with Scripture. And here's one example, chapter Matthew chapter four, verse four, Jesus told Satan, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. What, what, did, what do you think Jesus meant when he said that we live by every word that comes from the mouth of God? 
Well, it's fairly simple to understand what he meant because he practiced that in that very setting. So Satan comes at Jesus with temptation, and every time that you know this first temptation was to to eat, he was hungry, and so he says, you know, go ahead and turn this uh, rock into a piece of bread, and he says, look, this is not what sustains life, but it's the word of God, the things that come from the mouth of God that sustain life. And his actions explain what he meant by that, because that very statement is a quote from Deuteronomy chapter 8. And twice more, as Satan brought different temptations, both times Jesus quoted from the Bible to resist Satan's temptations. And so his use of Scripture sets the the Scripture apart as being something that uh, is unique. He didn't quote from some philosopher, didn't quote from some alternative source, but he treated scripture as if the words of God had spiritual power and had ultimate meaning. Okay, so so Paul believed that the Bible is inspired by God. Jesus believed that the Bible is inspired by God. The the Bible very clearly teaches that the Bible is inspired by God. So let's let's throw out a seminary word here, Ross, and explain this because people maybe are familiar with this phrase or they need to be and we're going to bring it to him in this lesson. Explain to us what we mean when we say verbal plenary inspiration. Okay, break down that phrase when we apply that to this topic of God's word being inspired. What does it mean that when we say that it's verbal plenary inspiration? Yeah, so theologians, they just make up these phrases as a way of trying to be precise. Okay, they say we want to make sure that we are saying exactly what we want to say. And so, Inspiration, we've talked about that. That means God breathed. God is the source of it. Verbal means it extends to the very words. The very words of the Bible, not just the concepts, not just the ideas, but all of the words of the Bible. Well, that's the idea of plenary. Plenary means full. Okay, so the inspiration extends to the words, but it also extends to all the words, all the parts of the Bible, all the subject matters upon which the Bible speaks. It's not just those parts of the Bible that deal with religious doctrine that are inspired, but each and every word of the Bible is inspired. It ultimately has its source in God. And so um, what we talk about then, if this is true, this is the approach that Jesus took, that's why we believe it's true. But it means that the Bible speaks the truth in everything that it affirms. Okay, so so for example, I've heard of people, Ross, who are like, Jesus only Christians or red red letter Christians. You know, red some people maybe have a red letter Bible where the words of Christ are in red. So what would you say to someone like that? Someone who's coming to this topic saying, okay, I I love the Bible, but I only love certain parts of the Bible. Is that what we're talking about here? Are are we saying, are we saying, just to be clear, that all of the Bible, all of not just the red words, but all of the even the even the harder concepts, even the concepts that kind of rub up against what we think about, what our culture says. You know, this is some of these words are written two thousand, three thousand years ago, and so I could hear someone who's new to Christianity saying, "This sounds like craziness for you to think something that old can truly be inspired by God, and that every last word is truly inspired by God." So, so do you need to soften this a little bit, or is this what you're saying? Yeah, it's totally what I'm saying. Uh, you know, a response, I mean, age doesn't mean anything. That's a bias that we have, the bias of recency. 
which if God is transcendent, uh, if, if he's eternal, doesn't matter when he said it. He hadn't changed. But back to your point, the red letter uh, version of the Bible, which highlights the words of Jesus in red. What if you had a Bible that highlighted the words of God in red? Then the whole Bible would be red, right? The whole Bible would be red. Jesus is God, as you mentioned earlier, but but God speaks through through other human authors, speaks through the Bible. So the idea is that it, it's every part of it is reliable. Every part of it is true. Um, it's promises, all of its commands, all of its warnings, um, and and more of them. They're they're true. They can be relied upon. Now, of course, we have to factor in and say, okay, that when the Bible is interpreted according to the intended sense of the author, when the Apostle Paul meant a certain thing, when he wrote a certain thing, and so did the prophets of the Old Testament, they meant a certain thing. And so we can't just say, oh, that's just whatever I want it to mean, and give that the authority that the Bible has itself. So when the Bible is interpreted according to the intended sense of the author, which we derive from practic- uh, uh, through uh, biblical principles of interpretation, um, then, then that no interpretation has that authority, but the Bible itself has that authority. What I mean by the authority is that um, it never fails in its purpose. It never leads us astray. The Bible makes good on all of its claims, its truth claims, and that extends to every aspect, every word, every subject, every topic that it that it touches upon. Okay, hold on. I got to back up a second because you threw out a couple more concepts. I think it's worthy of a little bit more conversation. So first of all, when we say that the Bible is inspired by God, more specifically, we what we're saying is the Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit. Right, so God exists as God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So, right, isn't it correct to say, Ross? It's more technically correct to say that the Holy Spirit is the one who inspired the writing of the Bible, and and we'll talk more about what that means and how the human was involved in that because I think that's super interesting. So that's the one thing we need to clarify. But it's interesting that the same Holy Spirit that inspired the writing of the Bible two thousand, three thousand years ago is the same Holy Spirit who illuminates the Bible to us, right? Because what we're not saying is the commentary that you're reading on the Bible is inspired. We're not saying even that our words on this podcast are inspired. We're, I mean, we're doing the best that we can to help people understand it, but our words aren't inspired by God. Only Scripture, that's what makes Scripture different. That, that's what makes the 66 books of the Bible different from any other book on your bookshelf on my bookshelf is that these books are on a whole these words are on a whole different level because these words are inspired by God. Do I have that right so far, Ross? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, now I'm sure there were there are times we'll talk about this in a minute where where God actually spoke and and a voice from heaven or whatever and and his words were recorded, he gave the like the 10 commandments and so forth. Those are more direct but in most of the scripture, it, the Holy Spirit is inspiring the human author, and we'll talk about what that means, what that looks like from the human side of it um, in, just, in just a minute. Okay, so then when it comes to illumination, that's something that happens to us today. And maybe some of our listeners can say, I feel like I've experienced that where I'm reading God's Word, the inspired Word of God, but then there's a second thing that has to happen for mo- for many of us, what happens is he illuminates the Bible, the meaning of the Bible. He en- he enlightens us. He opens up my ability 
to understand his word, that's kind of like a second thing almost. Like, But it's interesting that the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, does both of those things. God the Holy Spirit inspired it. That's done. Do we expect that he's going to inspire any more scripture to be written in the future, Ross? Yeah, no, I, I don't. And uh, yeah, um, we'll talk about that at, at, later on in the series. But um, yeah, but but, no, but he does yeah. illuminate us. He though. does he illuminate. illuminates, right? So we don't, be- yeah, we don't believe it's important. I think it's important. Maybe people from from uh, some other faith traditions, like for example, Mormons, they believe that that God still can write scripture. They believe that the prophet can, you know, when he speaks, it's basically equivalent with scripture. That is not at all what the Bible teaches. So we believe that, and the Bible teaches that these. These 66 books of the Bible are, those are the inspired, that's the inspired word of God. He doesn't need to add anything more to that, even though he still illuminates our understanding of scripture all these years later. Right. And so I think the reason I I want to talk about illumination, so inspiration happens at the very beginning when scripture is birthed. Illumination happens when I encounter the scripture, maybe 3,000 years after it was written. The reason I wanted to mention that to our listeners today is that, um, you know, we're talking about coming into the Bible, maybe some people who have never had much experience with the Bible. Well, I want to make sure they understand that God is there. God is speaking to them through that. That when you when you read the Bible, you're going to encounter God in the Bible. He's going to speak to you. And that's how the Holy Spirit's at work. It's not just words on a page. It's not like I pick up the newspaper and I can understand the newspaper by, you know, because I know the English language or whatever. It's it's just something supernatural, something dynamic that takes place when we read the Word of God. And the Holy Spirit's at work at the very beginning, and He's at work in the present day, not to inspire new scripture, like you said, but to make the scripture that He has created speak to our lives, to make it alive to us, to bring conviction, to bring help to bring hope and encouragement and insight, wisdom, all the things that can happen when we open the Word of God and read it. Well, and in week three of this series, we're going to talk a little bit more about how to do the study of the Bible properly, because what we're not saying, right, Ross, what we're not saying is, hey, just read it and pray about it, and you might have one interpretation, and the next, your neighbor might have a completely different diametrically opposed interpretation. And that's just how God works. It's just all, whatever truth you get out of it is, that's not what we're saying, right? When we say that he illuminates it. Now, we're also not saying that everyone's going to have the exact same interpretation, because obviously there's all kinds of different understandings of scripture and different ways to, but I think there are still some guidelines for reading it properly, interpreting it properly. And we'll, we'll talk about those guidelines in week three of the series. Right, exactly. But I want to make sure by bringing this up that to let people understand that they don't have to master all of the interpretive tools. They don't have to master all the literary tools and stuff before the Bible can speak to them. Now, they're going to grow in those areas. They're going to learn to interpret it better as they move, as they go along, as they connect the dots. But I want to make sure that they don't feel like, oh, no, I can't really read the Bible and make sense of it uh, because I don't have a, a, a college degree or a theological degree or something like that. Yeah, that's good. I mean, remember that Jesus' the disciples were were fishermen and tax collectors. They weren't the... They weren't the the learned ones. I mean, Paul says this in First Corinthians. He talks about that God chose the weak things of the world to to shame the strong, and He chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And so that is the beauty of it is that the, it is that you don't have to be the most intelligent person to truly gain something from God's word. Because I think that that would be unfair of God. 
to make it accessible only to the really smart people. This isn't like calculus, right? And even though there's a lot of depth to God's word, it re- the basics are so understandable and it's important to understand those basics. Okay, Ross, let's move on to the next thing because we've got a lot to cover still. So the next thing we want to talk about is how humans were involved in this. Okay, so so let me get this straight. We we're saying that that God inspired the Bi- the writing of the Bible through his Holy Spirit. So then we're like, were the human authors like how were they involved? Were the human authors just like in a trance? Were they like taken over? Were there was there was their writing hand taken over? Like what do we mean by that? And and how were the how are humans involved in this? Because we have authors like Paul and Luke and Matthew and Mark and Moses. So what, how did that work out? Yeah, that's a great question. That I want to figure this out because say in the occult world, there's a phenomenon called automatic writing where like a spirit takes control and you write what it, you know, you kind of, whatever this is happening within you, if that's a real thing. Um, but no, we're not talking about the Holy Spirit taking over the human personality, but working in sync with the human personality. Because you have all these human authors of the Bible, um, all these unique personalities, they have different experiences, different time frames, different language, different culture, all the rest. And the Holy Spirit is able to work through them. They don't sound all the same. As you read the Bible, you'll see, oh, Mark writes differently than Matthew writes. And so, but we're saying they're both true. And so the Bible, so the, the Bible is a product of divine authorship, not that God said, like, send a telegram and somebody opened it and go, oh, here's what God, God sent this message. But it's a product of divine authorship and human authorship, both equally, e- both are equally important. It doesn't mean some kind of dictation, like like you have a stenographer who's taking notes, and the the author Paul or Isaiah or whatever is like, take wait wait God, what did you just say? Wait, did you say that or that? No, it's it's actually the words and the style, the phraseology of the human author is not dictated by the Holy Spirit, but I would say it's superintended by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is at work through that author, through his own style and personality and all the things that make him unique, that they're actually not, they're not just transcribing something that's said to them, but they're speaking in their own thoughts, their own words, in response to specific situations they're dealing with. But the Holy Spirit oversees the process so that the very words written were exactly what the Spirit intended. So they're both the words of the human author and equally the words of God himself. Okay, so I think some of our listeners might need to rewind this podcast and listen to that. That was a great explanation that it's not dictation, but it's 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 really superintended. Superintended is a better word than dictated. I love that. That's a helpful word to remember. And and maybe it's helpful also to understand some scripture that helps explain this. So 2 Peter chapter 1 starting in verse 20. This is Peter writing now. He says Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. So this is what you're saying. This is what you're explaining, Ross. Here's what here's how Peter says it. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit, and they spoke from God. So that's kind of the language that Peter uses. He says that they were moved by the Holy Spirit. He doesn't say that the Holy Spirit dictated it to them and they were like hold, hold on stop can you say that again that last line Jesus or holy spirit i didn't i didn't hear it i need to make sure i get, that's not how it was peter peter says that that it's it's 
a movement of the Holy Spirit in their in their mind, I guess, would be part of it. In their spirit, maybe Ross would be part of it. It's like a, it's kind of a package deal. Yeah, yeah. And so you know, it doesn't ex- explain exactly in detail how that works. And so we could, you know, we're kind of connecting some dots a little bit here, but this, but clearly the idea is there. It's present that that this moving of the Holy Spirit um, is results in them speaking. They don't start it, they don't initiate it, but it's still their words and it's still their situation that they're speaking to. Okay, now that I'm gonna, I'm going to kind of I'm going to throw a trick question at you here, Ross. That sound I could hear some of our listeners saying. I think I understand what you're talking about because I feel like the Holy Spirit moves me to go talk to that person at the grocery store or moves me to say a certain thing to my spouse or to my kids or so I understand or even moves me when I'm reading we talked about illumination like moves me when I'm reading so I could see that someone might say okay wait a second so yeah maybe God can still move um in that inspiration kind of way, because we've been using the word inspiration at kind of a different level than illumination, but now we come across this word that sounds like something people have experienced. How would you answer that for the person who says, man, I feel like God is really moving on me to say this to you, and they might even be tempted to kind of elevate it to the level of Scripture? What would you say to that? Yeah, that's a great question, because I feel like the Holy Spirit can give me an impulse to say something to somebody. So we're using inspiration in kind of two different ways, because I feel like, oh, I was inspired to go say something to my neighbor. Well, that you could say that's inspiration, like with a lowercase i. But capital I inspiration is, is the Holy Spirit creating scripture. And so when I'm talking to my neighbor or something, you know, in, in my family situation or whatever it might be, I'm not giving God's revelation in some kind of a objective final sense for the whole church, for the whole human race. I'm giving, you know, what I believe God is saying to me through my, for my situation for, so I'm not going to go claim that, that I, that this is now needs to be added to the NIV, right. Or, or to some Bible translation. And so I'm saying that there's a different level that the Holy Spirit has chosen. And we'll talk about next week. We'll talk about how do we know what writings are authoritative what writings are scripture and what if somebody came to church you know next next weekend and said hey the 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 holy spirit told me that this needs to be added to scripture well how would we evaluate that we'll talk about then tests of the standards of scripture uh actually next time well and uh, maybe even to some of our listeners who who are who are a part of a more charismatic church where where they see the gifts of the spirit at work. Maybe you've been to a church. I grew up in a church like this, Ross, where I remember one of my friends in in the youth group was uh, was so into in our church culture. If somebody had a message from the Lord, and you read about this in some parts of Scripture in the New Testament, um, in some church traditions, um, have people maybe call, speak out in the middle of a service, speak out a message from the Lord. This is the and they they speak it in the language oftentimes like God is speaking, and and so I think that can be confusing to people to think. Wait a second, is that person being inspired? Because Scripture says this can happen. First Corinthians fourteen talks about how to do this in the appropriate way. I encourage our listeners to go check that out. But my point right now is, so I had a friend back in high school who actually brought a recorder in to the service. 
And whenever someone would speak out like that, it would happen every once in a while, they would hit record and then they would transcribe it. And I remember the next week he came back and he was handing out these copies, manuscript form of the message that the Lord spoke the previous week through that prophecy from Brother Bob in the third row, right? And I remember as a young Christian thinking, wait a second, I'm not really sure how to think about this. And I understand what my buddy was doing is he just said, this is a word from the Lord for us. But I also understood how dangerous that was that we're putting it in writing now. And I like how you said it, Ross. It was almost like he was potentially elevating that lowercase i inspiration to an uppercase, a capital, capitalized I inspiration. And it never happened, but, I, but I, I could see a situation where you put those all in a binder and start printing it. And pretty soon now you started your own cult. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You created your own scripture and so forth. And so, yeah, no, there, there, the Bible does make it clear that there is a, a gift of prophecy and there's some things that, that can be said that, that do come from God, but those all have to be tested and evaluated. Uh, there, especially in, a, in certain cultures where it's like, oh, I get some, I get some brownie points for saying those things. And so people maybe are doing it not always from the best motives or not always hearing from God, but making it up. And so it all has to be tested to see what, and it could be an encouragement. I've had people speak that encouraged, you know, something to me that they said that this came from God, but I'm not going to inscripturate it. And I'm not going to make a plaque and put it on my wall um, in my house, but it, it made sense and it was meaningful in that moment for a particular you know, decision in my life. Yeah, that's good. Okay, one more verse. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 13. When we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. So this is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. He says, instead, we speak words given to us by the Spirit, using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. So he's giving us a little bit of insight into how inspiration works for him and again, it's different than Brother Bob in the third row at church. It really is because this is for all time. The, those, those words made it into our Bible, and we believe that those words are inspired by God. So, Ross, let's talk for a second about how many authors and how long. So just to kind of zoom out and let people know, like, what, what exactly are we talking about when we're looking at Genesis to Revelation 66 books? How many authors? How long did it take? Was it all in the same language? Give us some of those details. Yeah, this is good because this is a practical implication of what we're saying about inspiration. Because there were the Bible's written by over 40 authors over a period of 2,000 years. They lived in different parts. You know, they, they were all in the, in the old Middle East, but they were in different parts of it. They were different empires and different locations, different time frames. Um, the earliest author, the earliest book was probably the book of Job maybe 2000 or almost 2000 BC. Um, Later on, the book of Revelation is about 100 AD. Um, So the book of Job clearly reflects this pre-Israelite culture. Um, The book of Revelation represents a different culture, the Roman Empire culture. And so, and the reason why we see this great diversity, the reason why the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is so important here is that in spite of this diversity, the Bible just tells one unified story. It tells the story of God and of humanity. It's consistent about about people, about sin, about redemption. Um, There's different perspectives from different authors, but the authors don't contradict each other, even though they had very different life experiences and lived in different situations. 
And so this this is why the unity of the Bible is a is a great um, argument for the inspiration of the Bible through this incredible palette of hu- of humanity that God used to create the Scripture. Yeah, it, re- it really is amazing to think. I mean, the more I, I re- I've read the Bible through many many times, and the, every time I do it, I learn something new, and I fall more in love with the God of the Bible, and I'm more impressed that re- this is really not the product of human hands. There's just no way that it's a product of human hands. It's clearly inspired by God. And Ross, I would also say not just inspired by God, but also, I don't know what the word is, but um, protected over the centuries by God, mm-hmm. you know, superintended in in even a broader sense, like just, just the fact that all these years later, we have it intact. You know, the Dead Sea Scrolls were, were discovered over 50 years ago. And 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 it revealed that really what we have is so trustworthy and true. It's been handed down to us, and it really is reliable um, more than any other ancient document manuscript. I mean, there's just so much to the Bible that just makes it truly the not just the greatest book ever written, which it was the 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 bestseller of all time, which it always will be. But I mean, there's a good reason for that. It's it's because God really superintended not just the writing of it, but even just the handing down of it to us. Yeah, the the scribes who copied the scripture were incredibly scrupulous. They followed a detailed ritual, a pattern, and that it, it was, so it's easy for them to discover an, a mistake. It's easy for us to see a mistake. So I don't know if you've ever been copying a list, you know, and your your eye has two items on the list that are similar. Your eye will go to the next one, and you maybe leave a couple out. It's easy to look to see. Oh, that's what that ha- that's what happened, you know. So it's easy. In, wherever some of those slips occur in the Bible, to identify them. But we have this great confidence, as you mentioned, the Dead Sea Scrolls, over a thousand years uh, between the the most recent copy that that they had before the Dead Sea Scrolls was discovered, a thousand years, and and they're ultimately essentially the same. And so the idea, theologically, the idea is like, if God goes to the great pains to inspire and to give us his word, why would he not preserve that for the sake of his purpose was to give humanity his wisdom? Why would he allow that to be jacked up along the way? You know, mm. yeah. So let's just talk about manuscripts for a second, and then we're going to finish by talking about translations. So, so the manuscripts that are given to us, you know, is there like so? For example, Isaiah, the book of Isaiah. So Isaiah the prophet. 2,800 years ago is writing down, he's writing down these prophecies. He's writing down the stuff that we now have as the book of Isaiah. Do we have that original manuscript in his original handwriting somewhere in a museum somewhere? And, and, and not just for Isaiah, do we have that for any of the books like, like uh, Paul's writings, like Galatians or Romans or, or Matthew's gospel, do we have that writing in anyone's original manuscript for any of the books of the Bible? We do not. There are none. And it's not like there's something lurking around that we don't know was really Paul, because, because the, the science of dating, we can date materials and the kind of materials they were using at the time, the papyrus or whatever. The earliest manuscripts we have go back to about 100 AD, or there about plus or 10 plus or minus 10 years. So we don't have any original manuscripts. What we have is we have copies, copies, many copies of copies of copies. We have this huge number of copies that have continued to show up as historic and archaeological science goes forward. And so you have all these copies. And if you look at them, line them up side by side, 
then you can get the common witness of of the majority of the copies. So let's say you have 10, 10 copies, and in one place, you say if you have just two copies, you have a difference between this word and in the, in the same verse, a different word. But if you have nine other copies and they all have one word in there, then it's pretty clear that the aberrant one is... Um, there was a mistake somewhere along the line. And so the number of copies you have, I'm oversimplifying it by a long shot, but the number of copies you have helps you to understand what the original reading must have been. Yeah. And so when we say manuscript, we're talking about copies of the original. But again, when I when I say that that the Bible has more manuscript evidence than any other ancient book like Homer or any of those writing, you know, the Plato, Socrates, like by a long shot, the Bible has more than any. What we're saying is copies of the original manuscript that that survive, and we have many of those copies, that that what the translators are doing then is they're taking those copies, they're taking the evidence of those copies, and they're and they're giving us the most reliable um uh translation for us to believe in today. And when we say that the Bible's inspired, we're talking about in its original manuscript, right, Ross? I think it's probably worth talking about that for a second, because again, a, a skeptic might say, well, then we don't even know if what we have is true. But what you're saying is, no, there's so so many, it's not like, it's not like ten, we've got 10 manuscripts and they're all completely different. Like these manuscripts align so so beautifully because of the Jewish scribes. They, it was a big deal for them. They were very, very, like you said, very meticulous. But I don't want people, listeners to get the wrong idea that we're saying, well, then it's not, you know, we don't really know if we, the Bible that we have right now really survived the translation process. Right. And so we don't say that any, any translation is inspired. But it's inspired as insofar as it reflects the original. And we know that it can reflect the original in like 99% or whatever it is, that might right, be. Right. And so we, so we have a great deal of confidence in the Bible that we actually pick up and read in our home every day. Yeah. So if you've ever been reading the Bible to our listeners and you've, it, you know, you see the footnote where it says most early manuscripts, you know, don't have this verse. That's what you're reading. Is you're reading the comment, the the footnote from the translators to being honest with you about the the when there is an, a potentially an outlier there, right? That's potential. There's a few examples of that. Maybe we can cover that in a future podcast. But to me, the 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 point is how few of those footnotes there are. That really that shows just how much manuscript evidence that we have. And so we don't have to read our Bible and say, oh, I wonder, I don't know. You know, Mormons, that's how they read their Bible. They, they believe that the translation process itself was like totally flawed and therefore we can't believe any of it. And, and so then you just have like, how can you even know anything? How can you, how can you stake, stake your claim on anything? How can you be confident about any, any uh, doctrine or any, any belief that you have? And so again, the Bible is inspired by God, and we know that what we have, because of God's superintendence of the process, that what we have today truly is trustworthy and reliable, and we can take it to the bank. Right. And that's where you know we go from transmission to translation, because the translators are using the very best manuscripts, they're using the very best text, the closest date to the original, and then they bring that, because none of us speak the, the uh, languages of the original Bible. The Bible is written in Hebrew, 
Aramaic, and Greek. So Hebrew and Greek are the main ones. None of us speak Hebrew and Greek as our native tongue. So we just really need to have it in our own translation so that the Holy Spirit can illuminate us to understand what God has said to us. Okay, so let's finish real quick by talking about the two major types of trans... I guess there's three, but there are two major types of translation. The third one's not translation, it's paraphrase, but let's make sure to talk about it. So so some translations, like we're talking about NIV or KJV or NKJV or NLT or ESV. So that's what we're talking about right now. When we say translation, we're talking about that. So there, one kind of translation, Ross, is a word-for-word translation. And a, the, another type of translation is a thought-for-thought thought translation. Walk us through the difference and in, in which translations that people are familiar with are which ones. Yeah, so because of the process of translation, there's no exact correspondence between one language's vocabulary and its uh, struct, gram, grammatical structure and another language's. And so you have a spectrum. On one end of the spectrum is this word for word. On the other end of the spectrum is thought for thought. There's no there's no clear-cut defining line in between them. There's going to be a process kind of like you're farther along in one direction or the other. So word for word is the you take the words from Greek and Hebrew and you try to translate them into English as closely as possible. And so you go, you know, you're going to try to capture the grammar and the actual meaning of a particular word. And thought for thought is you're going to take the um, ideas of the original and try to translate them into matching ideas in the in the receptor language. And so the the challenge is that every language uses idiom, and so idiom can't be translated word for word. And so, for example, Bible nine, Matthew nine uh, fifteen and NLT says, "Do wedding guests mourn while celebrating with the groom?" But that phrase, wedding guest, that's literally, if you translated it word for word, would be sons of the wedding hall. Do sons of the wedding hall mourn while celebrating with the groom? Well, who knows what that, I don't know what that means. That's an idiom from the ancient Greek um, that says those are the people who would have been in that role. But I don't know that without the history. So even a very word for word translation like the New American Standard Bible, which is very close to the word for word, it still uses the translation attendance of the bridegroom. It doesn't say, um, you know, sons of the wedding hall. And so the most literal translation still has to do some thought for thought translation because idiom is so challenging to think of how idioms, if you've, if you've spoken a different language, you've spoken Spanish or French or whatever, and, and you realize that there's some idioms that simply can't be translated in a word-for-word manner, and so the the problem of idiom is what kind of kind of messes this whole translation process up, or I shouldn't say messes it up, but it steers people into a, a one approach or the other approach uh, because um, you're trying to capture the meaning. Sometimes the best way to capture the meaning is to render every single word. Sometimes the best way to capture the meaning is to render the thought than, rather than the particular word. I hope that, that yeah, and helps we're not, us understand. And we're not saying that one type of translation is better than the other. I think it's just important for our listeners to understand that there are there are two main types of translations. One is the word for word or the formal equivalents, like the ESV or the uh KJV, would you say? Yeah, the K yeah, the KJV. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we what mentioned was the, the NAS. 
the new American NASB. standard. NASB. Yeah. So those are good. And I, I read those, the, the ESV and the NASB, I read those quite a bit and I study from those. And a lot of times what I'll do is if I'm really studying scripture is I'll have the NLT, which is more of a thought for thought or dynamic equivalence. And again, the, the difference is the NLT is just so much easier for the average person to understand. So you can maybe maybe even try this at home for our listeners is, is take a passage and open it up in the ESV and in the NLT and in the NIV. NIV, again, is more of a thought for thought, a little bit less thought. I think NLT is probably the most thought for thought, yeah. the, the most interpretive or the most easy to understand, I guess. But again, that, that means there's a little bit more interpretation from the translators to help you understand it. Whereas the ESV, compare that to the ESV, and now you're really talking about something that is a little bit harder to understand, but they're but they're not so much worried about that. They're just trying to be true to the original text, as true as possible to the original text. So again, just helpful to understand there's different kinds of translations. But the bottom line, Ross, is the translation is based on the original manuscripts, whereas a paraphrase is based on a translation. So, for example, the Living Bible is a paraphrase that uh, that the author said, I want to take the NIV, or I don't know what he was using. I want to take a translation. Probably the King yeah, maybe James the King in that James. time frame. I want to take a tra- – I think this was in the 70s. I want to take mm-hmm. a translation, and I want to write it in a way that my kids can understand it. I think that was kind of the story behind the living, yeah. the living version, I think is what it was called. But, again, that's a paraphrase. Again, it's fine. It's just good to understand that it's a paraphrase so that when you're coming to scripture and allowing God to illuminate to you, illuminate it to you that you're understanding what you're dealing with as you're reading the scripture. Yeah. So every every translation, now all the translations that are published by major publishers, by Bible bookstores and so forth, they're all valid. Now there's a couple of translations out there that are not valid. The Jehovah Witnesses have translated one called the New World Translation. And they take liberties with the actual text. But most of the translations that you can acquire uh, through Amazon or Christian book distributors or wherever you buy books, they're going to be valid. They're going to sound a little bit different. But like you said, Brian, if you line them all up together, open them all up, you're going to see, oh, that's essentially saying the same thing. It's just saying it in different language, but the meaning is the same. All right, Ross, we're out of time for this first episode, but what's what I guess what what would you say here at the end? What's kind of the takeaway? We've talked about inspiration, we've talked about illumination, we've talked about the authors and and it, how this worked out. We've read some scriptures, we've talked about translations like some people are probably thinking, "Man, my head is spinning a little bit. What's your takeaway as a pastor here?" Right. I think the most important thing to understand here is that Look, the Bible is God's communication to us. It's come to us all the different ways that it came to us are a little bit complicated, but the fact of the matter is that when you read the Bible, you're hearing from God himself. Uh, You're encountering God himself. So the main thing is just pick it up and read it. We'll talk more about how to do that in, in the third lesson of the series, but the thing is just pick it up, just read it, and um, all these things will become uh, more clear to you that we're talking about in the series as you actually read the Bible. Hey listeners, this is Brian Dwyer reminding you to rate this show on your favorite podcast app. That really does help us when you do that. That way more people can discover this podcast and start listening. And also don't forget to share the podcast with a friend.